Okay, this is Jonathan Lamb speaking to you. Um, this is Mullets and Money back after a long um, hiatus. Uh, we, I lost my um, partner in crime and we put it on hold for a bit, but we've decided to come back to you. Um, and now, from now on, it's going to be me and Greg. Are you there, Greg? Hello, everybody. Yes, this is Greg Skowronski, a new wingman and a partner in crime of Jonathan on this endeavor. So it's it's good to be back. Um, a lot of water has gone under the bridge since we were last here. Today, um, we're actually hoping to focus on airlines. Um, we've had a transfer of coverage on the airline uh, companies, and we're, we're going to have our colleague Kuba with us to talk to you about that. But first of all, Greg. Um, What's exciting you or scaring you about the markets at the moment? Yeah, exactly. Before we go to the airlines, I think that since the moment we paused uh, broadcasting this, this podcast, it's, uh, we have given a couple of sentences of summary what's, uh, what was what, happening in the meantime. Well, clearly, Central Eastern Europe was lagging behind a lot other uh, markets within our uh, playground, Poland, Czech Republic, uh, we're doing practically nothing, if not down, whereas, whereas Hungary had its star in the form of OTP, which still, mm -hmm. still seems to be attracting lots of attraction. But undisputable champion of, last, uh, of this year is definitely Russia, with its unbelievable kind of conversion uh, into, into high dividend uh, paying stories with improving longer term corporate governance teams. I think it might be a prevailing theme uh, going forward, uh, whereas kind of the black sheep or kind of uh, you know, the, 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 the price may come from the Turkish market as well, given its very low valuation and seem, what seems to be an increasingly growing appetite for Turkish equities among our investor space. That's in a nutshell. And... Uh, Jonathan, if you don't mind, I would uh, move to uh, Jakub, who just uh, released uh, Crowded Fields, uh, piece on EMEA Airlines, which uh, kind of traditionally haven't been really, having not been really generating like long-term returns for investors. However, we try to filter out the cherries among the crowd, and uh, we have Jakub Keithamel, online with us uh, today. Hello, Jakub. Uh, hey, guys. Thanks for having me on. Excellent. Good to, good to host you here. And, uh, you know, crowded field suggests to me, like, uh, competitive landscape is tough and making money in this industry continues to be tough. So uh, what's your stance on the industry? What are your winners, losers, laggards, opportunities, or risks that you see there? Maybe let's start from the general landscape. Uh, right. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I think it's, uh, it, it has been always a pretty competitive field. And uh, I think for many, many years, uh, decades perhaps, uh, on the global scale, airlines have um, failed to kind of generate ROE in excess of the cost of capital, which uh, uh, could have made some, uh, you know, investors quite worry about the industry. And, um, this is also reflected in the in the valuations and uh, kind of airlines globally trade uh, kind of much cheaper than uh, the general equities. Mm, I think that 2019 has been in uh, kind of many respects in, in, in Europe or EMEA airlines uh, at least, uh, I think a very, very difficult year. 
the uh, backdrop of growth has been quite slow. Um, uh, going uh, there from, from 2018, I think many airlines have been burdened by quite high um, fuel costs. Uh, the, the capacity uh, additions have been uh, quite brutal, which uh, has been depressing yields and, uh, and margins. So in, in many respects, this, this has been uh, a very difficult year, and, and I think that, uh, that next year is, is kind of shaping, uh, shaping up marginally better. Um, I think that uh, one important theme is consolidation, which uh, over time should uh, lead to better capacity discipline and uh, hopefully better pricing. But I don't think that we are yet, yet there, and uh, it could take uh, some time before uh, this, this is materialized. Um, and still, uh, even though, I mean, I think that uh, we could be kind of through the worst, I don't think uh, I would be plunging into the sector. I mean, it's uh, very um, it's, it's very cyclical, uh, very high kind of fixed costs and uh, against the backdrop of what still looks to be a weak global growth uh, and what we think uh, will be capacity additions in like mid-single digits, uh, we think that the pressure on yield um, is, is likely to, to, to stay with us for another couple of months. Um, of course, I mean, there are questions like, uh, I mean, when will the maxes be allowed to, to fly again? So it's not, the capacity additions are not set in stone, but uh, I, I would be um, kind of rather on the cautious uh, side still. Uh, so I would be preferring uh, carriers with uh, kind of high, um, uh, uh, with, um, uh, with, with solid robust balance sheet, uh, high profitability, high dividend yield, stable earnings to the extent possible, so kind of more defensive picks, places to hide, rather than the very geared high beta names. Yeah, on the capacity expansions, um, you know, it's so kind of uh, counterintuitive because from the consumer and you see, you know, the accessibility of flights growing in every single corner of Eastern Europe uh, or target destinations like uh, like London, forgive me, uh, Jonathan, but I hope you agree with that. So the availability of flights is everywhere and the business overall seems to be like in a booming stage rather than... Um, what you are saying, like, you know, capital, discipline, um, you know, go to safety now. So that it sounds, sounds like a big contrast. What do you think, Jonathan? Yeah, um, as, as a non-expert um, looking at the sector, I, I would tend to have the same view as you. It seems like there's, there's quite a lot of growth. Um, but, of course, the... The load factors are obviously really, really important in this sector. So are, uh, has there been growth in flight availability faster than growth in customer numbers, or um, is there something else driving this? So this is a really interesting aspect. And, um, I mean, something, um, the reason for which I, um, you know, can only speculate about, but uh, in the global on the global level, there seems to be, or there seem to be historically, um, quite a good relationship between uh, the GDP growth and uh, and the growth in demand for for air travel. And uh, the demand for air travel has been growing by around one one and a half to two times faster than the global GDP. Um, and this relationship kind of seems to hold since uh, like the 60s and uh, lately on the global level it has uh, accelerated a little so kind of moving from this 1.5 closer to 2 um, as the uh, I think uh, low cost uh, 
carriers are becoming more prevalent, it's, it's cheaper to fly. As, as you guys mentioned, uh, I mean, it seems that uh, you know the super cheap tickets are, are are very easy to get to these days. And I think that in this respect, Europe really is uh, an outlier. Uh, the share of low-cost carriers here is around 40-42% uh, of the market. It's uh, the highest globally. And uh, they have been growing pretty fast, I mean, much, much faster than the, uh, the legacy majors. And uh, I think that this could be the reason which has been driving the very fast growth in demand. And despite uh, what has been actually quite um, weak growth in Europe over the past uh, past decade or so. Uh, the capacity has been growing uh, has been growing pretty fast. I mean, what you know you observe, I think, has been actually happening. And uh, in in Europe over the past decade, the capacity uh, sorry the demand has been growing by around three three and a half times uh, the pace of of GDP. And that's I think quite unprecedented in the global context, and uh, this has made it possible for Ryanair, for Vizair, for uh, many carriers to gradually increase the load factors, despite what has been quite, you know, high uh, high increases in capacity. Uh, and the big question is, of course, if this is something which which can which can last, or whether kind of Europe in this context will revert to the mean, and uh, we will again perhaps in the next decade see the growth being much closer to this 2% um, uh, multiple, which has been the benchmark globally. And uh, I think one of the reasons which has been driving this fast growth has been really this availability of super cheap tickets, which I think is quite unique in, um, in Europe. And uh, this is, I think, something which uh, you know, many people would be fighting against uh, because, I mean, many people, I think, see this as quite irresponsible that you can have, you know, like 10-year flight uh, across Europe because many people then just fly, you know, for, for weekend breaks that they wouldn't have otherwise. Yeah, I was, I was thinking of that. Um, so if, if we start, if we look at where carbon costs have been in Europe this year on the, the, um, the exchanges there, it, it costs about 25 euros a ton to produce um, carbon dioxide if you're being charged for it. And I wonder how much uh, worries about carbon dioxide, climate change, or even just, uh, what do they call it, flight shaming, um, might have an impact on, on demand and on costs within this sector. And if I may add on uh, to that, naturally, you know, the appetite from fly, for flying within Central Eastern Europe or from Central Eastern Europe will still be on the rise, but uh, affordability is key. Uh, you know, the societies down here are definitely value-driven um, customers, so uh, if we see risks on the upside as far as pricing of tickets are concerned, for example, for instance, stemming from this higher carbon costs, uh, you know, the demand might uh, prove to be sensitive to, uh, to these higher costs. Uh, thinking out, Kuba, what are your food for thoughts here? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I honestly see, it. I mean, there's very little uh, kind of um, consensus on what shape and form any prospective green taxes could have, but uh, I think that Jonathan is perfectly right that there has been a big shift in perception and that road flying is uh, increasingly seen as 
really one of the chief contributors to, um, uh, or a very important contributor to, to global warming. And uh, I have um, seen some uh, kind of sensitivities which um, are uh, suggesting that uh, the elasticity of uh, kind of demand for, for tickets to price is around one to one. So uh, on the kind of smaller changes, uh, if you increase the uh, ticket prices by around uh, 10%, then uh, the demand falls by around 10%, which in a sense means that if uh, you would really have some strict taxes introduced which would really push up the prices of the tickets materially, it could be actually the, the cheapest carriers, the low-cost carriers like Vizair or Ryanair, who could suffer the biggest blowback to the demand because actually just as, you know, Bezer and others have been pushing this narrative that the cheap ticket prices are stimulating demand, which, I mean, apparently seems to have been true, I think that it could also work uh, vice versa. And, I mean, that's uh, perhaps a bit ironic because actually it is uh, the Ryanair's and the Bezer's of this world uh, that are emitting the lowest amount of, of, of carbon dioxide and the other uh, greenhouse gases uh, per passenger kilometer because they are flying uh, very full planes and also they have very kind of new and efficient aircraft and uh, the fleet uh, will only move to kind of become more efficient as the Maxis and uh, Neos uh, represent a bigger and bigger share of the fleet as we move into, into early 2020s. But, the the uh, Maxis are really efficient. They only fly one way, right? <laughs> Uh, I mean, uh, <laughs> it's uh, yeah. This is this is something which you know. It's it's really hard to say when um, when will this be recertified. Re I think you know nobody really has any good good clarity on this. I, I've seen recent comments that uh, were pointing to like the end of the first quarter, but of course, I mean, it has been pushed back already several times. Uh, I think the consensus is that in, in Europe, uh, the certification or recertification may take a bit longer than um, in the US. And uh, I think what could really change the picture next year uh, on the margin is uh, if the Maxis wouldn't be allowed to fly uh, throughout summer, because I think that could really have um, a tangible adverse impact on scheduling. On the other hand, still, uh, I think that because the deliveries have actually kind of just begun, it's only about 2% of the fleet of the European carriers, so uh, it would uh, affect the kind of expected growth, and we could have capacity expansion perhaps of not 5%, but of 3%, which could uh, Make for like a make better case for the yields and for the pricing, but uh, you know it's not it's not a huge difference. It's not like ten or twenty percent of the of the fleet yet. All right, uh, and and getting down to the specific carriers, because uh, luckily um, Central Eastern Europe is a place which enjoys uh, growth, uh, which enjoys uh, growing appetite for flying. Uh, there are a few um, independent carriers and and uh, and, and Aeroflot in the space. Uh, um, as well, all of them feature different uh, characteristics, different strategies, different uh, market positioning, different pricing policies, and different regulations. Uh, if you can get down to the individuals, uh, Jakob, what? Uh, how would you perceive them? How would you differentiate between them? And in the end. Where would you put your money in, if you could, or you were, if you were allowed to? 
<laughs> right, yeah, if, if only I were allowed to, right? <laughs> uh, look, I mean, I think that from the CE perspective, right, the, the name which really stands out is, um, is Vizier. It has been a tremendous uh, success story. It's uh, uh, actually by far uh, the fastest growing uh, carrier in Europe uh, and uh, actually by uh, quite a big margin, uh, the greenest one. Um, I think that uh, it is really an amazing uh, operation that uh, they are uh, running uh, out of out of Budapest and out of Switzerland. But um, after the the rally and the, the shares are up almost 40% uh, year to date, uh, the the very near term upside is uh, is limited. But of course, I mean they have uh, an excellent cost structure, and uh, with the refleeting, uh, they will become only more efficient. And also, as the heft increases, I think that their negotiating position routes to, say, the airports uh, will uh, will improve. So I think that uh, going forward, we could see um, uh, kind of uh, the, the cost per kilometer uh, decreasing, uh, decreasing further. Uh, so on the pace that uh, uh, Vizier is growing, and they have recently uh, pushed up the growth guidance for the second half of this financial year uh, north of 20%. Uh, it is still, you know, kind of one of the names, if you are looking at it from like mid, mid to long-term perspective, it's one of the C equities which I, you know, could, uh, could see doubling in the, in the mid to long-term. Uh, that's what I think that in the, in the short run, uh, perhaps the the, uh, the the upside is is a bit capped up after the excellent performance the, the shares have seen. When I look at uh, your report, the crowded field, um, there is, there is huge valuation discrepancy between the likes of Weezer on one end and Aeroflot on the other end, IG and being somewhere in between. Um, what's standing behind that? Why Aeroflot struggles to? From, from well, struggles to relate or struggle to attract uh, investors' appreciation, given what I believe is uh, probably one of the greatest theoretically growth potential, uh, given the size of the Russian market. Yeah, that's a that's a very good point, and I think that in in general the Russian equities, if I look at it relative to say the MSCI world, the, the global indices, the whole Russia has been trading at around like 60 percent discount for for past you know five or I don't know how many years. So I mean I think that the fact that it's a it's a Russian stock, uh, you know, makes yeah, but that's changing recently. That's, that's changing. That's changing recently. As I said in the beginning of the call, Russia is a top performing market within within our woods uh, playground. So. Uh, so that's changing. Aeroflot still lags behind, not only versus uh, the tier Russian equities, but also, but also other airlines. What's the catch? True. I mean, I uh, I think that there is a potential for uh, for re-rating, but uh, I I think that what the market uh, is is waiting for, and certainly what what we are waiting for, is a bit more evidence on uh, whether the growth can be executed profitably. So. By, by 2023, Aeroflot uh, will be celebrating its 100th anniversary, and uh, to mark the occasion, the company plans to carry 100 million passengers, uh, up from uh, 56 million, which they have carried in, in 2018. And uh, that means uh, uh, quite, a, quite a steep growth, of course, over the next uh, four or five years. And uh, the 100 million for 100, 100 million for 100 years anniversary sounds like a pretty Reson kind of resonates. That was all the sounds to me, like you know, five-year 
uh, kind of work plan under the Soviet. Uh, <laughs> it, it sounds uh, like it belongs to a different era, doesn't it? it? Pre precisely. Sorry <laughs> for this digression, uh, Jakob, but uh, that, that was so so apparent I couldn't hold it back. <laughs> Please go on. Yeah, no, but I mean, I, I think that uh, at least, you know, uh, um, kind of uh, if I apply uh, this to, to myself and to my workflow, I think that it's, it's really good to uh, put um, dates to uh, to your goals because uh, you know kind of then uh, you have some uh, some tangible plan that uh, you know that uh, uh, you should you should hit certain targets by certain time. Um, I mean I, I think that the plan is achievable because I think that there is a huge scope in the domestic market. I think a lot of people are using the long haul trains which are not uh, very comfortable. They are uh, you know not very time efficient and uh, they are by no means uh, a bargain. Uh, and what is uh, what should be the chief driver of this growth is this uh, Pobeda, uh, which is Victor in English, the, the low-cost unit of Aeroflot. And uh, uh, it has carried something like 7 million passengers in, in 2018, and they hope that it will be carrying something like 25, 30 million by, by 2023. And if this growth can be executed without diluting the margins, and, I mean, it could be because Pobeda is, I mean, they have very efficient fleet of the new generation Boeing aircraft. Uh, they uh, have cost structure, which is uh, not very different from likes of Vizier or Ryanair. They are very efficient. I think that, as far as they are well-placed to kind of um, persuade people to uh, switch from, from rail to the sky. Uh, so I think that once we would see evidence that this growth is executed profitably, then uh, the spot could jump. On the other hand, I mean, still, uh, you don't have much clarity on the fleet development, uh, so the other airlines give you a very clear plan as to how they plan to move forward in this regard for at least the next couple of years, whereas Airflot uh, hasn't really presented this yet. Uh, this is something that the airline is expected to talk about on the Capital Markets Day in mid-December in London. And uh, I think one of the um, question mark there is that, uh, I mean, aside from supporting the domestic mobility, uh, I think Airflot is also expected to uh, support uh, kind of the domestic uh, plane manufacturers, and uh, uh, the plan uh, should be that by 2026 they will have uh, 100 of the domestically uh, made aircraft, among others the Sukhoi 100 jets, and uh, I think that there is a limited track record uh, for the operation of these, and uh, I think there is a fear that um, uh, this could push up, even though the planes itself, I think, should be quite cheap comparing to Boeing or Airbus. Uh, if they were to push up maintenance expenses, uh, this, again, could have diluted effect on, on margins. So I think it's really the, the key question there, I think, really is whether the growth can be profitable. So it, it goes back to your capital discipline thing at the beginning, basically. Um, are they, are they just doing this to, to celebrate a nice birthday party or can they do it effectively and, and profitably? And as Jakub said, uh, Sukhoi is, uh, doesn't have a track record um, how efficient economically the jet yeah. uh, can be, which probably is the kind of the, the biggest point why investors prefer to adopt the wait and see stance applying treaty law Headspace valuation on EJBDA for Aeroflot, preferring to simply wait uh, whether this project uh, can be executed profitably, as Jakub is saying. So, um, 
Okay, I think we know why Aeroflot uh, probably requires some more patience from current shareholders or why it will not get uh, too many of new crowd coming in. Uh, what would be your best picks uh, pick in the sector? Well, coming from the balance sheet strength, capital discipline, uh, dividend yields even, it looks like I again um, is the one you would like to um, draw our attention to, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I mean, I uh, because it's not like that. I uh, would see. I, I mean, I don't think that if you invest in Asian, uh, you would uh, you would double your money. Uh, but uh, against the relatively weak growth backdrop, I think Asian is an is an excellent pick. I mean, the uh, company has uh, uh, essentially uh, no uh, net debt as of uh, mid this year, and uh, it is. Uh, very efficient with uh, ROEs north of 25%. Uh, it is uh, quite uh, compact with a market cap of around 600 million euros. And uh, it has stood its ground very well when uh, other flights of Ryanair have been trying to uh, kind of get into the uh, Greek holiday market. I mean, people have been really sticking with, with Aegean because I think they prefer uh, their quality services and uh, really the uh, I think that the, the motto of being like the first um, uh, first step in your holiday uh, or the kind of making, Jakub, uh, um, isn't is it really relevant with 600 million uh, euro market cap? Um, well, wouldn't it rather become a consolidation target? Can that become a, a topic? Because uh, it seems like Aegon, despite you know strong points standing for it. Um, is simply small, and small don't make a big difference these days. Exactly, and this is where I think the strong perceived brand image comes from, because I think that uh, this is exactly the thing that uh, you may want to kind of buy it for, because, I mean, if it was just some like small no-name carrier, you may want to, you know, just wait and uh, kind of see it disappear, and I think that in general when it comes to the consolidation of the market, uh, that would be the strategy, uh, by and large, that the majors will simply uh, push ahead with capacity expansion and uh, hope uh, to see one of the smaller players disappear. But I don't think that AGN, with the excellent profitability and stellar balance sheet, is going anywhere. And given the strong brand image, I could see it as an uh, attractive acquisition target. Uh, so for me, this uh, is kind of the, the story, and this is why I have it on the buy. I, think that even should uh, there be some uh, negative surprise for the Eurozone uh, growth in uh, 2020, uh, given uh, the balance sheet and uh, given the steady earnings for an, for an airline, uh, they should uh, hold, uh, uh, hold their kind of position share price-wise, also supported by this like 8% dividend yield, and the upside uh, could be the, the prospect of acquisition. Yeah, sounds like... Um not really like overly exciting story, frankly speaking, uh, some ways to park your money within the airspace if you need to, but I, I would imagine there are some more safer and equally yielding names uh, elsewhere. Uh, we have not touched Turkish Airlines yet. Uh, that one uh, you know, tends to you know, become periodically an angel and the market's darling, and periodically the stock which, which everybody dumps. Um, what's your current stance on Turkish Airlines? I mean, again, it, a lot of it comes down to 
Me thinking that uh, given the relatively weak global growth backdrop, which is likely to uh, to uh, to be here next week, I wouldn't really go into very high beta names, and uh, because the the net debt to EBITDA is there around uh, kind of four times, uh, the valuation is super sensitive. And just to just to illustrate this, I mean, if I if I were to uh, value it on EV EBITDA, if I uh, put the price target on the uh, one standard deviation below the long-term average, uh, the price target would be less than zero. And if I would put it one standard deviation above, uh, the upside would be more than 150%. Uh, so like very small changes to, uh, you know, to the outlook could make the share price, share price very volatile. And I mean, I think that in many respects, uh, 2019 has been a very difficult year. Uh, there has been the delayed delivery of Airbus aircraft. Uh, there has been the grounding of Maxis. Uh, this all meant that essentially the capacity additions which have been planned didn't materialize and uh, still Turkish Airlines needed to uh, pay to the crews and to the pilots that they have hired in anticipation of kind of having these aircraft and operating them. Uh, many frequencies have been canceled during the move to the new airport. And of course, the new airport provides uh, an excellent platform to grow the business and to capture this increasing share of traffic between kind of Asia and the West. And this is really, I think, where the future of aviation is moving because I mean, you have these super fast growing Asian economies and Turkish is there to capture a lot of this growth. Um, so I think that in many respects, as Maxis return, as these airports get delivered, as the operations on the new airport become smoother and more efficient, uh, 2020 will be much better year. Uh, on the other hand, looking at consensus estimate, uh, the Bloomberg analysts expect more than 25% growth in EBITDA between 2019 and 2020. So I think that uh, this is, you know, quite widely expected, and uh, I think that it could be, you know, quite um, uh, perhaps challenging to to beat what already seems like an ambitious growth uh, being possibly priced in. Uh, so I uh, decided uh, to kind of remain on the sidelines there and perhaps wait for um, a stronger global growth backdrop, uh, so to speak, to uh, before before plunging into this one. All right. Uh, thanks, Kuba. Um, Jonathan, have we missed anything? Um, there was just one tiny little question that me being me has, has to ask. Um, do you see any impact of IMO 2020 on your sector? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I was thinking that this uh, this may <laughs> this may come. Um, honestly, I, I have to say that I think that IMO is much much bigger deal for uh, fires than uh, than it is for for airlines. Simply, you know, looking at how volatile oil price has been in the past. Um, how common, you know, five, ten dollars per barrel fluctuations are. Uh, I think it really is the oil price is the variable that uh, that one uh, should follow. And uh, even if the spreads were to double, uh, the impact on airlines would be, I think, quite limited. And uh, perhaps more importantly, uh, coming into 2019 from 2018 where the oil price has been quite elevated even though it's lower year on year. I don't think that most of the carriers have benefited uh, from this uh, because of the hedging. So I think that unless there is a sudden spike in the oil price going into next year, uh, what could also help uh, 2020 being more benign than 2019 has been 
would be uh, what could what could possibly be a lower fuel bill, which I mean going forward would be also helped by the more efficient fleet. Yeah, I I, I, um, I know a thing or two about oil, and um, it does look like oil prices. You know, if I had to bet on it, I'd say lower oil prices rather than higher oil prices next year. So um, IMO might be completely irrelevant for the airline industry because the, the, the lower oil price not more than makes up for it, as you say. Oil price. Oil price uh, could be a good topic for our new podcast, Jonathan, in such case, given IMO is coming that fast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, um, oil and gas has been an interesting space in, in the last few months. Um, it's not just oil. I think European gas, uh, I could, well, I could talk for hours. I don't know whether anyone <laughs> wants to listen, but there's certainly lots to talk about, so we could think about that. Okay. Um, let's have that in mind. Um, so, crowded fields, that's the title of Jonathan's piece. Um, I hope you find this uh, podcast inspiring to have more thoughts on the airline space in uh, emerging Europe. And um, always we are encouraging to reach out to, the, to Jakub and uh, to pick up on his brain more if you need to dig uh, details. Jonathan, last words to you. Okay, thank you, Jakob. Um, it was interesting. As uh, Greg said, there's a lot more behind what we've spoken about if people are interested. Thank you for listening. Um, we hope to be back regularly talking about lots of interesting, interesting subjects. Thank you.